0: Good morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 18. Actually, that's where we're going to be today. Um, It happens occasionally here, as that we seek God's guidance and direction, and as we open up the Word and study it, we try to intentionally pick a Bible book and then work through it. That keeps pastors, people like me, honest. It keeps me from just picking those texts that I wanna talk about, and kind of talking about those issues that I wanna talk about, Instead, it forces me to deal with every text, and books like First Corinthians do a great job of that. Uh, I don't naturally say I would like to speak about marriage, divorce, how to deal with situations where someone is married to an unbeliever, and what sex looks like in the context of that relationship. That's usually not what I go. Man, that's what I want to talk about. Now I got other topics I would love to talk about, and First Corinthians says, No, 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 no. You don't get to pick. God gets to pick. And so we're going to be doing that. I don't know if you've noticed though, but the last few weeks have been rather heavy. Uh, We've spent some time in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 discussing how do we confront sin to the point where we are willing to tell someone um, with great pain and confidence that your rebellion and your refusal to submit to God's word and to God's spirit means that there's going to need to be some distance between us until you repent. That's tough. Chapter 6 describes what sexual immorality not only looks like, but how specifically it's not agreed upon as a way that Christians live. That's heavy. I've had a number of conversations with people over the last few weeks, just in 1 Corinthians 6, that have said this. Number one, man, I'm so grateful to be part of a church that speaks the truth. And, man, that, that really exposed me. Uh, I had someone say to me just this past week, I almost got up and walked out. And not because they were mad, but because they were so broken. And they were afraid that everyone else could tell. And I just felt trapped. And I've got a bit of a thank you and a bit of a what do I do and what's going on and why am I so broken? And I had to address that. Speak to it to the best of my ability. So this is what's happening. And then then we get chapter (laughs) 7. Whew. So we walked in, I had chapter 7, um, that first section, all ready to go. I've got the sermon title, I've got the sermon outline. Walked into our worship arts meeting last week and said, uh, "Like, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm wondering if this is what we need to hit. I'm, I'm wondering if, if, if we need to take some time to just think through like, what is needed in order for us to hear it. Because sometimes that's a big deal. Let me say that again. What is needed in order for me to be able to hear? What's the setup? And not some kind of cautionary, okay, everybody buckle up, this one's going to be heavy. Not that. But sometimes the gospel isn't well heard because we haven't done the time, we haven't done the work to actually try to construct how to get from here to there. But instead, just, hey, it's truth, let's just speak it. It's true, I can just say it. Well, sure, but as we're going to see, even in Acts chapter 18, and I picked that specifically because that's the story of Paul first walking into Corinth. I want to look at the first 17 verses of this chapter where Paul walks in. This is Corinth before, before the gospel begins to change that city. Let, let's take a look at how we get to a church that wants to ask some rather intimate and difficult questions how do we get there? How do we do that? Jordan Peterson, um, a clinical psychologist at the University of Toronto, says that the two things that we know specifically in the, in, in the, in the field of, of, of mental health and mental development and psychological mental development, he says the one, two, two things that we know for sure are number one, is that in order for there to be real health that happens, there needs to be like truth speaking. That if everybody's lying or pretending or we're not actually getting to what's real, that in the end, you, you can never get better. And the second thing he said is that what, what we know works is actually like gradual steps that help people accomplish what, what they want. And, and, and again, I'm just saying, like actually you see that a lot in the Bible. You see a lot of, hey, you need to hear the truth. You need to know the truth about your situation. You need to know the truth about your strained relationship with God. You need to know that. And the second thing is, what do we do? And Baal doesn't say, God is holy, therefore, be holy. You go, yes, he did. Mm, No, no, no. He actually said, you're lost. Let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about who he is and what he did. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about. And then he said, hey, and now that you know that, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit that's going to dwell in you. And and now you know that, let me tell you about, like, that's actually what Paul did. Paul just didn't walk in to a particular area and say, hey, by the way, here's God, here's you. You better start learning how to jump high and then practice and practice and practice, and hopefully you'll get there someday. That's not what he says. What he literally says is, let me tell you about God and you and the amazing difference between the two. Let me tell you about how God, and he told them the gospel. So I guess before we hit seven, next week when we come back, man, we're going to hit it. And it's going to be heavy. It is going to be one of those heavy texts. And we've divided up seven into two weeks. So the good news is we're going to break it off piece by piece. And Paul is not holding things back. But I just need us to make sure that before we hear some rather deep and complicated implications of the gospel, let's just not assume that every one of us have ears to hear. Like maybe it's good for me to just stop and say, hey, it's, we need to hear rewind first and just ask a question. Have you heard the gospel? And when I say heard, I, I don't mean, well, let's let the text speak. If you look, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 18, that's where we're gonna be hitting it. Acts chapter 18, the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 preaches in Philippi. In Acts chapter 17, he moves and begins to preach in cities like Thessalonica and Berea. And then he goes to Athens, and he speaks there. And then in Acts chapter 18, Luke is recording this. He describes the gospel going to another city, the city of Corinth. And we're going to visit it hitting that city for the first time. Verse 1. After this, meaning all the other places that Paul has preached, all the other times he's shared the gospel, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, and that would be the emperor of the Roman, or the emperor of Rome, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, what, what, what we look at here is we see a, a very natural leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Apostle Paul, and the one, the one thing that I love about texts like this is it forces people like me to be honest with the reality of life and the reality of scriptures and I, the, the normalcy of it, um, just the, kind of the next step of it, because we are living at a time where we want to over-plan and over-strategize everything. Now hear me, I'm I'm not saying that the most spiritual thing for you to do is to just wing it. I'm not saying that at all. I don't believe in that. I really don't. I I just don't read the scriptures. Now now, hear me, I've I've read some books written by some very intelligent, theologically minded missiologists. Those are like professional missionaries that write about missions, missiologists. Okay? I've heard church planters talk about strategies for church planting. I've read... More books um, on, on those subjects. I just, when I read these books and then I read the gospel, when I read the book of Acts, in many of them, I just, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect. To be in fact, my assessment, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect. I don't think Paul is just winging it, but I just can't imagine. I think Luke would have described it if they walked into a room and Paul went up to the whiteboard and basically said okay here's the okay yeah that's silly there wouldn't be a whiteboard so he walks up to this chalkboard and he literally says hey this is the world and he drew a picture of the world and here's what we need to do and here's where we are and here's how we need to get there hey let's start walking through this writes up over on the other eyes s what are our strengths anybody have any barnabas what do you got well, we have the gospel. Good. That's one of our strengths. Anybody else? What's another strength? Well, you're a great leader. That's right. Leadership's always a valuable part. Speed of leader, speed of the team, like I say, Barnabas. And then he begins to talk about leadership. Anything else? Yeah, we get to talk about some strengths. We're good people. Yeah, let's write down good people. We're going to help people have big, good, good community. Okay, now that's enough for strengths. Nothing else? Okay, let's talk about our weaknesses. Weaknesses. What do we got here? Well, actually, we don't have a lot of money, <laughs> okay that's good that's a good weakness right we don't have a lot of money so let's talk about that as a weakness anything else yeah and they begin to kind of list out there are people that hate us okay that's actually i'm going to save that for later on anything else you have like thanks timothy but you got anything else he's young just be easy on timothy okay (laughs) kind of walks through what are our opportunities well here's an opportunity everywhere we go nobody knows about jesus so we've got our market i mean literally like our market share is can only go up is that not awesome Like that, I want you to see this. And so they talk about all of their opportunities. Threats. Well, actually, yeah, Um, almost everybody we meet that doesn't join us hates us. They begin to describe all the threats. Okay? SWOT analysis. That's how we, it it seems like a lot of people go, I think that's how Paul worked. Again, I don't think he's just shooting from the hip. I think there's a tremendous amount of prayer and thinking and reflection. I I believe all of that is happening. But Luke seems to describe more of an intentional, thoughtful. Where does the Spirit want us to go and what does the Spirit want us to do? Now, now by the way, when you look at the text, there's some kind of normal things that they're doing. They're not just kind of walking around. Where do we go? I don't know. Do you have a coin? Why don't you flip it? Okay, here we go. Uh, uh, Tails or Claudius? Which one do you want? Right? Like, that's not what it's doing. Paul seems to be thinking about, well, here's, here's our message. Our message is about Yahweh God and about his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Oh, you know what? I mean, Jews, they know about Yahweh. So why don't we go and talk? I mean, I'm, I'm a Jew. I think we could, make, we could really get some headway here. If there's a place where we could, it seems like to be some intentionality, right? Go back and read. Everywhere Paul went. He would walk into the synagogue. Hey, um, while you guys are kind of rumbling around in Isaiah, can I talk about this wonderful suffering servant? His name is Jesus. And he begins to share the gospel. You're right. In Acts chapter 17, he goes to the Areopagus, which is the marketplace, and he does meet with philosophers. It's not like he only does that, but it seems like Paul's primary way of doing it is finding a a common idea, a common identity. And so he regularly goes to a place where he can begin to have a conversation with people of shared interests. I mean, notice what the text says. And he finds some people, and they're tent makers just like he is. And he begins to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Like one of the parts that I love about a text like this is it just reminds me that the gospel does not advance with SWOT analysis. Um, although I, I really have, I've learned a lot. I'm very grateful for um, Jim Collins' book, um, Good to Great. And I love Patrick Lencioni, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Love them. I can learn so much from those guys. That, that's not a replacement for the Holy Spirit. And much of the way that the Holy Spirit works is very, like, normal and natural. I want us to think about that for a moment. That means that the situations that we find ourselves in, meaning, like, what does the text say? Like, where we naturally go, where we naturally work. Like, those are the places where Paul found a place to talk and to live and to work and to serve. Hey, take a look around you. Take a quick look around you. See a lot of red, empty spaces? Guess why that is? 200 and some people. Well, first of all, it's spring break, right? So a lot of college students went home. But there's a lot of people on the mission field. And you're not. Don't you feel bad? Seriously. 200 people go on the mission field. What are you doing? Nothing? Seriously? I caught a couple for service, and we were just talking, and man, isn't it exciting, 200 people are going on the mission field, and I said, hey, what are you guys, said, they asked me what I'm doing, literally, when I'm done here, I'm, I'm heading to Mexico, uh, leading Devo's for, uh, for a place that we're always down there, and get the chance to see my son, who recently moved there, so I'm looking forward to going down there, and I'll be serving next week, what are you doing? So I'm talking to this couple, and they said this to me, they literally went like this, um, we're going skiing, <laughs> And I kind of laughed. I said, why are you depressed? It's skiing. Like, I'm from, I'm from like the Rocky Mountains. Like, usually it's like, I'm going skiing. And they went, no, we're going skiing. <laughs> why are you upset about that? Well, you know, we should go on a mission trip. Why? Like, why do you think you should go on a mission trip? Well, you know. Why? Well, because it's the more spiritual thing to do. I, I don't know that actually. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Now, I would say this, just honestly, to like never go on a mission trip, to never live missionally, well, there's a big problem with that, but um, I think the Apostle Paul, I really do, I think he would go skiing sometime. I think he would make the most of a lot of opportunities. Do you see the difference? Like one of our desires, actually, is not to lift up and then to lift down. It's not to lift up missions and to lift down vacations. No, no. It's to lift up Jesus. But that's what we're supposed to be doing, is to lift up Jesus. Just tell me that wherever you go, on the mission field, or Aspen, I don't care, Banff, there we go, that's a beautiful Canadian place. Whether you go on the mission field or Banff, just make sure that while you're there, that you're all there. Make sure that the conversations that you're having with everybody on a constant basis somehow have at the root And I really do mean like at the root, like an understanding of who God is and what his plan is. I just, I love the natural way in which the gospel begins to take root because the Apostle Paul doesn't say once the church is planted in Corinth, okay, everybody go. I want this this town empty of people by the time I'm done. No. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that. The Apostle Paul says, hey, for those of you that are called by the Holy Spirit to go elsewhere, I recommend you follow that lead. Everybody else, what do we do? And you live for the glory of God. You begin to be husbands and wives. That's why the Apostle Paul has to deal with all the complicated issues about who do you do business with and how do you stay married and what happens if. And he's got all these complicated issues. I love just the normal part of this text. Apostle Paul walks into town, meets a guy. How How did Priscilla and Quilla get there? Did you notice that? Well, God put on their heart that they need to go to Corinth and to be pastors. Nope. What does the text say? Claudius started kicking Jews out. (laughs) That doesn't sound very spiritual. How did you end up here? Claudius kicked us out. That's how God works. How'd you end up here? Oh, my company moved me here. Cool. You think God works that way? How did you and how did you and Andrea get here? Well, you know, like we're we're spiritual intentional people, and so we literally sat down and just prayed, Lord, where do you want us to go? And we just opened up an atlas, and Stillwater was the only city on that map. No, there was a lot of things that was going on. One thing, my wife doesn't like traffic, and so when two of our options are like L.A. and Kansas City, Andrea's like, I like Stillwater. <laughs> She didn't know about the college students most of the year, but she said, I like Stillwater. Honestly, there are some normal aspects of life that just cause us to remember. It's not just those who go to Austin and Dallas and Piedras Negras that are doing missions this week. Hear me, I'm not saying everything is the exact same, but I am saying that so much of our lives are just intentionally... Kind of like these first few verses. The second thing that we see, look at verse 5. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, so he's not doing it alone. He's never doing this alone. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews. Notice how much language about speaking and speaking and speaking. Testifying to the Jews that the Christ, meaning the Messiah or the anointed one or the promised one of God, was actually Jesus. And when they opposed and when they opposed and reviled him he shook out his garments and said your blood be on your own heads i am innocent from now on i will go to the gentiles and he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus a worshipper of god his house was next door to the synagogue Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, what's interesting in this text is not only do you have Paul saying, hey, I'm not doing this by myself, like I'm doing this with others. Paul almost always, it mentions him with others. He leaves with Barnabas. He goes with Silas. He goes with Timothy. He asks Luke to come and see him. He's constantly dealing with ministry, and he is not doing it by himself. So many of us have kind of this lone wolf idea of who the apostle Paul is, but the apostle Paul never works like that. He always works with others. And here the Apostle Paul is constantly recognizing his environment and realizing something needs to be said. Like something needs to be said. And he testified. And he stayed for a really, really, really long time speaking. And he spoke and he spoke and he spoke and he spoke. So often we, we believe that just being nice or just being kind or just being gracious or just tipping well at the Golden Corral is somehow going to let people know about Jesus. And it's just not true. Like the word also needs to be spoken. It's interesting that in this text, even God speaks. I love what God says here. Do not be afraid. Think about it. Who do you tell don't be afraid? I've met with many of you, and we sit down and we're eating, we're sitting down at Mexico Joe's and we're having a conversation and we're beginning to talk. How many of you have my first words that came out of my mouth were, hey, by the way, do not be afraid? I don't know if I've ever really kind of began a conversation like that. Who do you say that to? Who do you tell, do not be afraid? Someone who's afraid. That's who you tell. You always tell people who are either afraid or they might be afraid or circumstances are happening around them that are going to produce fear in them, and then what do you say? God speaks into this man's life and says, do not be afraid. It's actually one of the, one of the most regular commands of the Bible, God speaking almost, almost um, more often than you'd be surprised to see that there is this, do not be afraid, See, the the Apostle Paul is walking into not just uncharted territory, but hostile territory. Like the city of Corinth actually will, will fight against this at some level. There are going to be people that are not going to want to hear this. It's interesting, I described that the Apostle Paul went to those people who might be the most receptive, those in the synagogue, those who have a love for God. And even in our text, we have a couple of names that are actually mentioned. Crispus, who is the ruler of the synagogue, and Titus Justice, he is a God worshiper. And the Apostle Paul would begin in these places, and you would think, man, if they're already loving God, and if they already are somehow religious or spiritual, there is this belief that many of us have that. If you are religious, you are like this close to being a Jesus follower. Like literally, it's just, you you have this like this, first you start watching Ellen and then you start watching Oprah and then you're a Jesus follower. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a progression. Like first you start watching Christian movies and then you start reading Christian books and then you're a Jesus follower. Think about it. The Apostle Paul met someone who was a worshiper of God The Apostle Paul meant someone who was living their lives around the God of the Old Testament, the God of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who loved him and was following him. And the Apostle Paul didn't go, man, you're good. He said, you need Jesus. Like, I need you to understand, like, your spirituality, like even your worshiping of God, like the God of the Bible, it is not what God desires. It is, it is about Jesus. I need to tell you about the Messiah. I need to give you the gospel. I need to give you good news. See, one of the major problems that we're going to have, kind of hearing some of the lessons of 1 Corinthians 5 or 6 or 7, is all of us have kind of this basic, you know, they, they describe in, in, in the world of science that objects that are at rest want to stay at rest. <laughs> And we need to remember, like, the Apostle Paul walked into this city, and there were really, really messed up people, and there were really, really good people, like Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, like Titus Justice, who was a worshiper of God. And Paul did not go, man, I'm just here to confirm you and say, hey, just keep up the good work. He said, "I I need you to know the good news about Jesus Christ. Like, I once was lost, but now I actually see who I was. Like, I was so lost, and I thought everything was fine. My name, they used to call me Saul. They used to call me that. And I grew up with this, in, in the strictest sect of the Pharisees. And I was so passionate about God, just like you are, Titus, I was so excited about who God was that I looked at the church. I looked at Christians. I looked at followers of Jesus and I thought they were so wrong, I persecuted them and I chased them and I was even involved in the killing of some of them. And then one time, I'm on this journey and I head out for Damascus and I encounter Jesus. He comes and he appears before me in a bright light and he blinds me and he asks me why I'm fighting against him. And I had to, I had to turn from my from my selfish ways. I had to turn from my, from my wicked ways. I had, to, I had to actually just renounce everything, everything that I had before, and I now count all of that as garbage compared to the faith and the hope that I had, now have in Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks that message. See, that's why it's important for us to realize that difficult texts like 1 Corinthians 7 are not told to okay people who are just fine. No, difficult texts are for difficult people. Difficult texts are for people that are dealing with difficult subjects. And it is so important that we recognize the connection and the need, the need that you and I have for the constant, ongoing good news about who Jesus Christ is. Last part of our text, beginning in verse 12. When Gallio was pro of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. By the way, this is why he needs to be told, don't be afraid, <laughs> right? Because there's going to be an attack on him. The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. So they're basically using like a civil court to try to cause or try to stop him he's been there for a while already try to stop him from continuing to stir up dissension particularly within the Jewish community saying this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law like he's messing up everything that we have been preaching and that we've been living as good Jewish people but when Paul was about to open his mouth Galio said to the Jews if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime O Jews I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since this is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. Essentially what he says is, hey, you guys seem to have like some inward squabble about how you need to live out your Jewish faith. The early parts of Christianity really struggled to tell the difference between those who are followers of Yahweh God as described in the Old Testament, followers of the law of Moses, and then those who were actually followers of Jesus. There was a real complication between the two of them. And he basically said, like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, I don't, I don't think what he's doing is, like, illegal when it comes to the government. And so he chooses to do nothing. And he drove them from the tribunal, he said. And they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, which is amazing. Like, I'm not going to do anything about this, but if you want to take them outside and beat them, you can. But listen to this. And so they seized Thosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Man, there's a lot of crazy stuff that's happening in the city of Corinth, isn't there? Like you can just tell like something is happening, like something is changing, like something of, 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 of rather um, sizable proportions is actually beginning to, to affect the city. The old ways in which people worshipped and the old ways in which people were married and the old ways in which people treated one another are somehow different because the gospel of Jesus Christ has come. And it is the idea that the gospel-shaped life looks different than life the way that it used to be is what you and I need to be mindful of, reminded of, as we prepare to hit the next few chapters in in, in 1 Corinthians. So I want to just leave us with three final thoughts. Three things that really mark what a gospel-shaped life looks like. And before we, you, I, just assume that we are there, I just want to take a little bit of a step back and just ask, ask you to ask yourself, like, has that happened to me? You saw kind of how it worked in Corinth, and you saw how, in many ways, very natural it was. And I would even say that probably is it was very natural in your life. And I don't know of any like Damascus Road experiences that we had here. Most likely, like someone that you were close to that you were just doing life with a mom, a dad, a friend, a neighbor a grandma, a grandpa, they began to share with you like their love for who Jesus Christ was and then you begin to model to you what that life with Jesus Christ looked like and at some level you said, I want to be a part of that. And as we begin to deal with some rather intrusive implications of what the gospel is, I just want to make sure that our hearts and our minds are aimed in the right direction. One of the first marks of a gospel life that we see in this text And that we should see in our own lives. That is like a life, a heart, a mind. Because I don't think it's just your heart, emotions. I don't think it's just your mind, the reasoning process. I think it is all of you. But it is a life that is actually heard or hearing the good news. Hearing the gospel, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 actually says this. How can anyone believe? How can anyone actually experience the the, the hope of, of eternal life unless they hear? We have to hear. That's why it's so important. It's so important that part of our ministry that we have is not just ministries of mercy where we're loving and caring for others, but that we are actually talking about what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And by the way, let's just not assume that because every one of you know when I say gospel that that means good news, and by good news, that means that Jesus died for you, let's just just not assume that you've actually heard the way the Bible describes it. And we we talk like this normally when when my children, when they were younger, I would ask them to do something or I would ask them to respond in some way, and they didn't and I asked them that here's what I want you to do and here's how I want you to behave, and they didn't, you know what I would say to them? Hey, 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 didn't you hear me? And they didn't say, yes, Dad, my ears are fully functional and I did hear you. That's not, they knew what I was meaning. Didn't you hear what I said? What do I mean by that? I mean, like, didn't you obey? Why didn't you obey? Why didn't you accept? Why didn't you in a, in a way where your heart and your mind respond to what I said to you in a way that I can begin to see and begin to tell that there was more than just audible pickup, but like a heart and a mind that was saying, I'm in. I remember years ago, teaching through Second Corinthians 7, it was a bit of a wake-up call for me. Because that whole chapter is about repentance. It's about biblical repentance. And I began to realize that, that even in my own life, there were a lot of instances where I don't know how repentant I was. Because it says there that there is a repentance that is just like feeling bad about something, and then there is the kind of repentance that leads to a changed life. Paul goes, I'm not talking about worldly sorrow. I'm talking about biblical repentance. See, that's what you actually see. In, first, or in Acts chapter 18. You actually see people who look at their lives and think, man, I think I got everything right. Like I'm going to the synagogue and I'm loving God and I'm worshiping God, I'm good. No. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what begins to to, to, to rub against and to, to reorient everybody's life. Where you and I are, are genuinely... Um, or generally and genuinely satisfied with just like, just trying? We're we're usually okay with, well, they did the best that they can? Like what, what God is looking for is those who hear him. And by hear, what you're actually talking about is, listen to me, is obey. So you're telling me, Jim, like I gotta obey and do everything that God says? Like that's what it is? And I would actually argue, like, that's what Jesus says. But at the very first step of that, by the way, is not always getting it right and never making a mistake. No, 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 you're you're missing me. Like, it's that first act of obedience which says, like, I choose to trust you, Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that as you're struggling with what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I'm talking about that first step. I'm asking you, like, when you hear the good news about Jesus Christ, when you hear about the life that you can have in him, that's the gospel and that's the good news. Do you hear and then obey that? That's what we're talking about. That word obey is such an archaic and difficult word. And yet, when you look at both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, I find it fascinating. Here are the two words. One of them is akuo. And that's the word "hear." And then the word kuo, which is the word obey. Do you want to say it again? A kuo here. Kuo, obey. It's like a normal response. After last week's message, a young man said, we need to meet. What's wrong? Dude, I almost walked out. I almost walked out. Why? I, I I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's broken within me. I doubt if he was the only one. It wasn't. I, I said to him, "You do realize, like, I didn't just have a great sermon last week. Like, what what's happening inside of his heart? What's happening inside of his mind? That's the spirit. Why is there this disconnect?" And I said, "Dude, I don't know if there is a disconnect. All he could see was his brokenness, and all he could see was his sin." And I just wanted to point out, that's funny because all I see, all I'm seeing right now is a heart that is giving in. Like, do you see what's happening while you're sitting there? You're hearing. Like, you're hearing this. Like, this is getting through. Why are you depressed? I'm excited about this. Like, this is a sign that the Spirit is at work and that something is going right, not something is going wrong. Yeah, but I keep stumbling and I keep tripping. Yeah, that's what happens when we run. It's what happens when we engage in the gospel. So for those of you in in the next few weeks, in the past few weeks, that are really feeling the Spirit's conviction, I'm telling you, you need to stop and, and, and believe that what is happening there is the Spirit is at work within you. The Spirit is working in you. Don't hightail it out of here. Don't run, lean in and thank the Lord that somehow by his grace and for your benefit you are actually hearing the gospel but it does presuppose that you have once heard it. I just feel as I pray for our church, as I pray for for us, I never want to assume that because you're sitting here you've actually really heard the gospel. I never want to confuse your presence this morning with the fact that you have, in fact, taken, you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ and his plan, and you have actually chosen to trust him with your sin problem, with your rebellion against God, with your self-centeredness, with your other God, other than God directedness. I just never want to assume that. That's why every week, can we continue this faith conversation? Have you heard? Second thing that we see in this text over and over and over again is that there always is a value and an importance of hearing the gospel, but there also is a value of speaking it. That's your job, Jim. Sure. (laughs) But my job as a follower of Christ, not as a pastor. No, no, sure, you're right. I, I do spend more time talking from this stage than any of you. I get that. I totally get that. But you do realize, like, this isn't the only place where I speak about Jesus. You do know that, right? Like, can you imagine if I told you? Yeah, like, the only time I ever talk about Jesus is when I'm standing on here. And that's actually from about 9.30 till about 12.25. Okay, 12.30, okay? Like, that's when I speak about Jesus. Other than that, like, that's my time. This is the time I give to Jesus, and then the other time is No. Like, notice the Apostle Paul is constantly talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus, and he spends a year and six months doing what? Building tents and talking about Jesus. One of the major disconnects that I think exists in our lives as followers of Christ, one of the major disconnects is that we so know how to, and I want to be very careful with the word here because I don't mean here in the way that I just mentioned it, but we so know how to, like, take in instruction about Jesus and we never literally like, speak it back. I had a French teacher who used to always say to us, écoutez et répétez. Écoutez et répétez. What is she saying in English? Listen and repeat. I want you to listen and repeat. She would say a French word, and we would have to, we would have to say it back to her. Écoutez, the good news of Jesus Christ, et répétez. Where do you speak the good news of Jesus Christ? If The number of like husbands and wives, and I ask them like, do you guys ever talk about the gospel with one another? Do you ever talk about what Jesus Christ has done and is doing in your life? And by the way, in normal settings, I know for many of us, they go, that just sounds so weird. I know. But it should sound normal. Testimony isn't something that we do here. Hey, would you mind, Roger, would you mind up just coming up and giving your testimony? Because it's church time, so we need to have a testimony. No, like the Bible describes Paul testifying, like Paul speaking. Like your children, have they ever heard you testify to the gospel? Have they ever heard you speak about the implications of the good news of Jesus Christ? One of the reasons why 1 Corinthians 7 is going to be so like on top of us because it's so demanding. Hey, this is what sex needs to be like in a marriage context. That is so bizarre. You want to know why? Because we don't regularly with one another speak the implications of the gospel to one another. You know what it's like for me to say it, but do you know what it's like for your spouse to say it? Do you know what it's like for your dad to say it? Do you know what it's like for your mom to say it? Do you know what it's like for your friend to say it? Do you know what it's like to have just a normal conversation? No, we come to church and get it. Yeah, that's why next week, for many of us, is going to sound so weird. And yet I would say, it is our responsibility to be the church of God. Not just by hearing, but by speaking. And ultimately, what I think all of this heart-shaped, gospel-shaped life is really all about is this ongoing of hearing and speaking. Ultimately, it is about this idea of responding to the gospel. See, you might go, well, no, I already responded. That's what hearing, that's what obeying was all about. Yeah, I get it. But it is this ongoing response to the gospel. And many of us responded... And, and in some way, yeah, no, 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 I responded, I got, I got saved, and now I'm going to just kind of, you know, try to be good. I responded, and now I'm going to try to be good. I responded, and now I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to try to be good. No. It's I responded to the gospel, I heard the gospel, I responded to the gospel, and now I'm going to respond to the gospel on a daily basis. I'm going to respond to who? Jesus Christ. I'm going to live in the shadow of what Jesus Christ did for me. His death, burial, and resurrection. His teachings. This is what we find in the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Man, that's intense. Like, we need to obey everything that Jesus commanded? Yeah, that's why we need to be constantly hearing and speaking and hearing and speaking and responding to what the gospel is. I promise you, next week when we come back, you're gonna think, wow, Paul has just gotten really intrusive. Listen, I promise you, he is, he's not more intrusive than who Jesus Christ is. What Jesus desires from every one of us is all of us. Remember what I said last week? Ownership is 10 tenths of the gospel. And when we have that, when we recognize that we've already done that, that we're already in that, That is when difficult and intrusive and overpowering and countercultural texts are still difficult for us to deal with. I promise you, I'm, I'm working through 1 Corinthians 7. It's deep. But it's also the way that God intended it to be. Because Jesus Christ didn't come to just give us life because we already had life, He came to give us life because we were dead. And now that we're alive, breathing seems strange and walking seems strange. It's kind of like a newborn. You're out, and all you want to do is cry. But you'll grow up. You'll grow up. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gospel and for the reminder of it. God, I pray that as we get ready to keep unpacking this text, that what we see, that what we have, is in fact natural and normal. I once was blind, and now I see, and and the bright lights can sometimes be overwhelming. Like, God, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I can breathe, and, and sometimes, God, I just can't catch my breath. Father, I pray that we would understand by your Spirit and by the, the power of your word, what this new life looks like that we have. God, I pray that for those of us that truly have only in some audible way had the gospel enter into our minds, that you would do the work that you can do. Open up our hearts. Father, as we deal with deep and just hard texts about marriage and still dealing with ideas of sexual purity and giving of ourselves, that God, we would recognize without a heart-shaped life, all of this is going to sound strange and maybe even inappropriate. But because of your Holy Spirit and the work that it has done, may we as your church respond. It's in Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen. Would love to continue this faith conversation. Be in prayer for those who are on the mission field and for those who are enjoying skiing and living missionally this week. There are no Wednesday programs, but we're looking forward to seeing you next Sunday. God bless.